Welcome to KCR Features, where you can hear what the locals are up to. Welcome to Travel Books and Life on Kiama Community Radio. I'm Carol Goddard and my special guest today, Holly Eisenmunger, has just arrived to join me here in the studio. Holly is a local Gerringong poet, author of Greatest Hit, her debut collection of poetry and joint winner of the Overland Judith Wright Poetry Prize of 2021. Hi, Holly. Hello. Now, Holly, in reading all about you, doing my research, I was immediately struck by how much you've already packed into your 32 years. My goodness. So we'll start at the beginning. Where were you born and raised? Uh, I was born in Westmead Children's Hospital and uh, we first lived out at Greystains in Western Sydney. And then when I was about eight years old, um, I think mum and dad had been watching Sea Change, the TV show on ABC, and um, they decided to do that themselves. Okie doke. And so we moved down here in 98. Oh, fantastic. And I think that was a very great move for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> now, where were you educated as a Littley? Um, Gerringong Primary School and then I went to Kiama High School and um, I had the really fun experience of having my dad be the deputy principal while I was a student. Oh my goodness and now when you said that was fun was it really fun? Actually it was. Oh that's absolutely (laughs) gorgeous. (laughs) Now at that stage when you were little did you like reading and writing? Yeah I did. Um I remember the first thing that got me really excited about reading was uh, Roald Dahl. Ah, yes. Yeah, so I remember reading those and that just was another world. Oh, absolutely. James and the Giant Peach and Matilda and all those. Look, I loved all those too. You know, and I'm a little bit older than you, just a tad, just a tad. Now, other pursuits like your um, uh, sport and music, did you get into sport at all? Yeah, so I was a full surf rat for uh, most of my youth. Um, I pretty much surfed every day before school, after school, during school. Now, what do you mean during school? Did you sneak on? No, I I wasn't too nerdy for that. It was during sport. So, um, yeah, that was what I was obsessed with. And then with uh, music, I played drums for a long time. So um, did did you actually have lessons? Or... A couple here and there, but I just kind of... Got the beat. Yeah, pretty much. That's fabulous. So did your passion for poetry start uh, around about this age or was that later? I think the specific obsession with poetry came later. Right. But in hindsight, I think it started around then. I would have these kind of moments where everything would slip into place and I would have a kind of calm insight into the world yeah where it slowed down a bit and I realize now that that's what poetry is and that's what I eventually went on to try and replicate that's brilliant now any did you read poetry as well as writing it yeah a lot um so when I first started reading poetry 
I read some more kind of standard lyrical poetry, so that would be poets like Robert Adamson. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older, I found a lot of contemporary poets that I liked and uh, ended up being people I knew and... That was a very different style. Wow, okay. So you were right into it from ever. Did you ever try songwriting? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, I bet you could do it. I bet you could do it. From reading your, uh, your poetry, I bet you could. Now, um, you went straight to uni from high school or did you have a, a sort of a gap time? No, I didn't have a gap year, but uh, instead of going to schoolies... Uh, my best friend and I, who was also a drummer, uh, we went to Vietnam and Cambodia together for a for a holiday. Oh, that's wonderful! So, how long were you there? Um, I think we were gone maybe four weeks. Oh, wonderful! Yeah. So that would have been a great thing to do rather than go to school. Is yeah, yeah, I was like, school's over. I don't want to hang out with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, went a long way away. Oh, fabulous. And listen, when you finally did go to university, where? Which university? I went to UTS in Sydney and I did my undergraduate degree in communications, writing and cultural studies. Right. What time was that? Where, that would have been 2009 I okay. started, yeah. All right. So you only did the one degree or did you go on to do something else? No, I went on to do a Master of Research at Western Sydney University and I did that during 2015 and 2016. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're well on your way. Kayama Community Radio. Now streaming at kcr.org.au. Now, if you've just joined us here on Kayama Community Radio, I'm Carol Goddard and I am having a chat with local Jeringong poet Holly Eisemanger. Now, Holly, we'll talk a little now about your travelling life. So, we've already learned that as uh, soon as school was over, you took off to Vietnam for four weeks, which is a very good thing to do, I think. Um, so, what age? Well, that was 18. That was when you first started travelling. Uh, I know that you spent time in Scotland and Glasgow. So, take us from your trip to Vietnam to any other travelling you did and then to Glasgow and tell me all about that. Sure. Um, Well, I might have to go back a little bit pre-Vietnam because I think I got uh, the travel bug in me from a very young age from mum and dad. Uh, When I was in primary school, they took my sister and I out of school for one term and we went in a caravan and drove around the desert straight up through the middle and then around the east coast so yeah I grew up having lots of adventures and lots of wonder and that made me want to replicate that when I became an adult yes yes I have done it I have gone around Australia in a caravan it took me four months or us my husband and I and we had an absolute ball what a country we live in so you you've um, done little trips between that time and uh, when you got to Scotland? Yeah so on the way to Scotland I stopped off in China for about a month. Oh my goodness. And um, I really like traveling by myself so I just did that by myself and um, looking back on that time now I didn't have a smartphone and I can barely navigate myself around (laughs) Sydney without one. 
But, you know, I somehow I made my way through China. Oh, um, my goodness. And it was an absolutely wonderful experience. Oh, I can yeah. imagine. And did you get any poetry written while you were in China? No? I was. Mm. I was. I distinctly remember reading a poet called Stephen Dunn in, uh, where was I? Near the Wall. Oh. But um, I was writing poetry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. And, okay, now I want to get to this. I know listeners about this. That's why I keep urging Holly <laughs> to tell me about it. She lived uh, very isolated, said, I want to know all about the Scotland experience. So start off and tell us all about that. So um, I'd gone travelling through Europe the year prior and I ended up stumbling upon this place called Neudart. And uh, it's an isolated peninsula off the northwest coast of Scotland, so near Isle of Skye. And you had to get a boat to get there. You had to get a boat to go to the shops. There was no cars on there except the postman's van. Luckily, he was my boyfriend, so oh, well, that's uh, very that was convenient. very handy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I woke up in my bedroom, looked out onto the Isle of Skye, and it was just a wonderful oh, experience. Wow. Yeah. And, and was that winter or summer? I was there in summer and a bit of uh, autumn and spring Ah. and then in the winter I was in Glasgow. My goodness that is gorgeous and there is a poem which we're going to read later which is a little bit nostalgic well when I read it I got nostalgia and it was about you and your mum when you were in Glasgow but that's that's another thing. Now day-to-day life on that peninsula were you off-grid or nearly off-grid? I was pretty much off-grid in the sense that all the power came from, like, the same peninsula. Um, There was no, like, telephone wires or anything. There was Wi-Fi, but, you know, there there was nothing really. There's only about 100 people living in that community. Um, And, yeah, all the power was generated from, like, wind and water on there. And a lot of the food came from the deer that were around there anyway. So a lot of the food was uh, all kind of, you know, sustainably sourced and stuff like that. Did you grow your own vegetables or anything like that? We did, yeah. So I was working in a kind of B&B. Now, to get to that B&B, not only did you have to get a boat, you then had to walk down this, like, you know, big hill full of heather and mud for a while um, before we got there. And they grew everything that, you know, we served. And I worked at the B&B there. It was just like for a family. Oh, wow. What a beautiful, healthy life, as long mm-hmm. as you didn't freeze. <laughs> I didn't now, mind the weather. Now, yeah, you, you enjoyed it, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how long in total were you there? Um, I was probably there about eight months. Eight months. My yeah. goodness. And you learned your uh, learned earned your livelihood by working in the B and B. Yeah. So you're ostensibly a young woman travelling. Yeah. Pretty Fantastic. Much. What a way to live. What a way to to enjoy your life. Uh, and you you said that you had your boyfriend. I was going to ask you, did you have companionship? Well, of course you had companionship. Mm-hmm. What about the the uh, village people? Were they? Um, uh, was it a close-knit community? Yeah, oh. it was a great experience to be a part of. Yeah. Um, 
the first night I got there, everyone was drinking whiskey and there was a little Kaylee uh, in the town hall, which was very small. Now, what's that? A Kaylee is essentially like a, a dance. Um, uh-huh. But instead of your usual pop music or whatever, it's like traditional Scottish music. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, um, and all the dancing is stuff like, you know, you do with a partner and you swing around a circle, all uh-huh. that kind of stuff. And there was all generations there. Um, there was little kids, old guys, and yeah, the, everyone was really unique. It was almost like all these misfits from the mainland <laughs> somehow floated out to this weird peninsula, and I fitted in with that. <laughs> I love it. You're not a misfit at all. Well, I'm a misfit because I like you. Now, <laughs> um, at that time, did you sort of travel to other places, or was it just between that peninsula and Glasgow? Um, I did a little bit of travelling around other area of Scot- areas of Scotland mm-hmm. and um, that was extremely easy because it's tiny. Yes. And, yeah. Um, yeah, being Australian and having done those long desert roads, yes, yeah. uh, it was very easy to get around. Of course. And how did you get around? Did you have a bike or bicycle? Uh, or? I had a bike, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had yeah. a bike. I picked you as a girl with a bike. <laughs> yeah. You. Now, um the drumming I want to hear all about the time you were the drummer in the band but that wasn't there was it that was somewhere else no that was that was earlier and then um that was mainly when I was in school oh okay yeah right well you were telling me yesterday that you were at one stage had a little bit of a go with a a, quite a famous band back in the 90s they folded up in the mid um, to oh, 2011 I, I did my research but the band name was Sonic Youth which is also the name of one of our radio programs here on a Sunday Byron Smith our young um, our, our very youthful presenter presents a show called Sonic Youth but can you tell us uh, or the listeners uh, this great little story about you drumming in that band for a, a period oh well I didn't actually drum in the band I was just working for them oh I beg your but pardon. that did give me an opportunity to have a kind of almost famous kind of experience but in a real world so it was kind of crazy uh I was working in a music venue in Glasgow then when I moved to London I was working in a music venue which was an experimental slash jazz club and Thurston Moore who is of Sonic Youth yes um just asked me to come on tour with him and work for him. Oh, so, amazing. Uh, yeah, I was on a tour bus for months as we travelled around Europe. Oh, what a life. I can see what... Honestly, uh, I did snitch that little bit about you packing a lot into your 32... 32- uh, years of life from the lovely Perry Croshaw when she was writing an article about you uh, and I can see what she means you're, you're making me exhausted just listening to this <laughs> <laughs> now how long in total were you overseas in this stint uh, two years two years and when you finally came back to Australia did you notice changes either in yourself or in Australia when you got back what did I notice um I felt like I really, when I came back, I was ready to get right into it with poetry and studying and stuff like that. I remember when I came home, uh, everything was surprisingly the same. 
and so there's not huge insights there but yeah I was excited by literature that's for sure oh that's amazing well you can now download the Kiama Community Radio app from the Google Play Store and from the Apple Store and carry KCR with you in your pocket. Now, Holly, let's talk about your current studies. We'll jump forward to that. You're studying to be an alcohol and drug counsellor and mental health worker. Now, can you share with the listeners why you chose this profession? Uh, well, lived experience. Um, yeah, so where to begin? Um, I have been through some really hard things. Um, but more specifically, I went through an experience of depression, then getting diagnosed with bipolar, ADHD, and I also... I'm an alcoholic, a sober one. <laughs> but yeah, so having gone through those things, I really wanted to be able to share my uh strength and hope and yes, yeah. You know, when I was in hospitals or rehabs, I wanted to be able to tell people the things that I wish I heard. So you had the strength to get through all that to a place now where you are so good. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Yeah. And and um I ask you this because I have read your poetry and I can I can re I can read and feel through that poetry that there was a r- lot of pain there. There was a lot of pain and you were do you think your poetry was helping you the language to get that pain out? Um it's hard to tell really. Um I know that uh, it's easier to write poetry when I'm sad, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, But some of that poetry is beautiful poetry. It's gorgeous. Thank you. Um, There is something almost cathartic and something positive about being able to articulate and convey something that is really a difficult experience. Oh, yeah. And... When it's just in my head, I feel alone with it, I feel isolated, and because it has no words, it's this big, scary, kind of unknowable Mm. beast. Mm. But if I can articulate it, it becomes something manageable. Yes. It becomes words, and I can do words. Yeah. Oh, you sure can. You sure can. Um, When when did this illness come upon you was there an actual time it came upon you or it was just a a thing that grew no it it definitely grew and grew um was it from your teenage years or before even that or no it was kind of who knows with the seeds of where all this started you know but um throughout school I was a really good student very kind of straight and narrow did everything right what awards, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and um, I'm sure my parents, when I went off to Sydney to study, were like, good job. Yes. Well done. Yep, yep. Little did they know I was going to return in, say, a year and a half and um, on and off for a decade have severe mental health issues. Yeah. So yeah. it did start later, but that isn't uncommon with bipolar. Right, right. And 
What? How did the um, wheels turn in order for you to be diagnosed with bipolar? Was it a sort of your be- a behavioural change for you, or you just felt that you needed help and you went along and were assessed? Or how did that work? Yeah. Okay. So. Um, there's so many ins and outs. It was yeah. a long road. Um, yeah, yeah. But I had my first breakdown when I was 20. Um, yeah. But I, I was misdiagnosed as just having depression. Right, right. And I should say throughout this whole time, I was like full on alcoholic. So that didn't help mm-hmm. either. But um, the thing that really, like it came to a head in 2017. And um, I had my first manic episode. And that involves, uh, well, I find it an easy way to describe it is like, imagine being on cocaine, but you're not. <laughs> well, see, I have, can't, but what about white wine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not making light of this, but uh, oh, that's my laugh. experience, you know. you yeah. got to laugh. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, wine is my drug of choice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I sort of can understand, but that's the problem, isn't it, um, that when people don't have um, uh, a depression, it, it's very hard for them to understand, but you do, your parents, now your parents, how wonderful were they? Just oh, talk about they that. They were absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I'm kind of unusual in my story in that um, there's no real genetic component it seems oh wow so the rest of my family are very well adjusted normal but unique in their own way but i'm a bit of a a weird one um yes but you're a talented creative (laughs) strong person too yeah and they're strong too in their own way Yeah, yeah um but my dad is notoriously positive just absolutely stoked all tell, the time tell me something D- does anyone call him pollyanna because that's what i get all the time you're probably too young to know who pollyanna was she was a character in a um in a book she was a fictional character who always saw the bright side of everything so that she became almost irritating and i'm irritating to a lot of people in my family because i am always pollyanna so i sort of i think i would meet and and greet your dad very well I yeah that's, get on very that well. sounds like my dad um at his last uh, job, uh, his colleagues actually made him a shirt with his favourite slogan on it and a picture of him. And it's any better and it'd be too good. Oh, so, that's yeah, gorgeous. That, that's my dad. But having said that, um, he couldn't uh, empathise in the same way that someone who has had my lived experience can. Yes. But they can. he could be there with unconditional love. Yes. No judgment, um, care, and the real beautiful ability to listen. And that that's for both my mum and my dad, I should say. You're so lucky, and they're so lucky to have you because you, you understand that, which is just incredible. Yeah, and one of the things that I find uh, is beautiful to witness now is that my dad is will quite often say, I'm just the luckiest man in the world. I've got beautiful daughters, lovely wife. And whenever he used to say that, I'd be like, oh, dad. (laughs) But having been through everything I've been through, he said it last week and I was like, you're right. Mm. We are the luckiest. Mm. And, you know, no 
moment of joy is wasted on me because I've seen hell. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, look at you now. Well, look, you're in such a great place. Um, can you think of any one thing that may have helped you the most in your recovery? I bet part of that is your writing, absolutely. But any one thing that you can think of? Well, the writing is just kind of a part of me. So it's hard to judge if it's a help or not a help. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I do know that I used to think that uh, when I was drinking still, I thought I wouldn't be able to write unless I was drinking because I had a romantic view about these things that was very misguided. And, um, you know, Hemingway. Yes, uh, I was going to say Hemingway. Yeah, well, like, you know, it didn't work so great for him. He's a great writer, but Mm. I don't know what the infinite hangovers would have done. Mm, mm. But, you know, so what I found out is that, you know, the only thing stopping me from writing was drinking. Yes. Um, the things that really helped in my recovery, um, probably the most fundamental thing was that I stopped trying to do it alone. And mm. prior to that, uh, I was doing it all alone. I was filled with shame. and uh, Like a vicious, vicious cycle, wouldn't yeah, it? Mm. Yeah, it is. And um, I had the view that I was a, a driven person I could make myself do anything and all the evidence I had up until that point with school and stuff like that was if I put my mind to something, I could do it. Now, with addiction and mental health, it's not that simple. Mm. What changed was when I got honest and I accepted help and not being alone with it anymore really made change possible. Oh, amazing. Well, that's the wrong word, amazing. It's just so good to see you in this place you are now, which is Kayama Community Radio talking to Carol Goddard. (laughs) Kayama Community Radio. kcr.org.au I'm Carol Goddard. This is Kaima Community Radio. The show is Travel, Books and Life, and it's now 2.40 in the afternoon on Thursday, 20... Oh, no, not 20, 31st of August. What am I saying? Your poetry, Holly. What inspired you to start writing poetry? Um... Well, apart from that original wonder at the world, um, I had a brilliant teacher that I had at university. Uh, His name was Martin Harrison. Uh, He's no longer with us, but he is an amazing poet and an amazing teacher, and I feel so grateful for having him as a teacher. And his class... Oh, it's hard to put words to it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it just got me thinking about words in a in a really unique way. And um, I took that class with one of my best friends. And we had been, since then, writing and trading and editing poems with each other. And then it's kind of beautiful because her book came out, like, a couple of months after mine. So we both... Oh gone full circle oh that's absolutely gorgeous and um i love hearing about teachers that inspire because everybody everybody no matter who you ask 
uh, has that one teacher that inspired them in their life and um, I think that's a great thing. Now, do you think um, as an audience we have to figure out the meaning of a poem or should we just feel it? Because I, I have to admit, there were some poems of yours that I couldn't understand. And I thought, oh dear, oh dear, what am I doing? This is awful. And then I thought, but wait a minute, I feel this or I feel that. So I've, I've probably answered my own question here. But what do you think? I think, um, like, you saying, oh dear, oh dear, this is awful, um, that not your poetry no no no, no. I mean I, re- I re- know that that's talking about yourself but um this kind of impulse that most people have in relation to poetry is something that I want to try and overcome right so and this is largely from school so when you read a poem at school you're taught like oh I have to get it it needs to be this reading I need to write about it this way because it means this and if it's not I'm dumb Mm. um but really like poetry isn't that at all you know um if you listen to a song and it moves you uh you don't have to analyze it to check if you get it you know there's no right or wrong way of experiencing uh feeling in a song And my view is that the same applies to poetry. So if you can kind of remove that, uh, I don't know, voice, like teacher looking over your shoulder, um, that makes poetry a lot more enjoyable. Yes. And, of course, my next question was, uh, and I think you've answered this too, do poems need to rhyme? Uh, No. No, of course they don't. Although my nan, my nana... (laughs) She, she read my book and she was like, I don't know about all this not rhyming, but I'm very proud of you, but I don't know. <laughs> oh, well, she's probably in my vintage. And it is very funny because we came up in the uh, in the era of, of, you know, roses are red and violets are blue and, you know, everything had to rhyme. And, you know, we had, we had absolute celebrities over the years, uh, sort of famous, um, famous um, celebrities who did post poetry and I look the name escapes me now I can see her face as uh, she was um, she was English and she had a wonderful accent and she used to um, uh, earn her trade she did uh, shows worldwide and still is doing them I do believe uh, where she did just rhyming prose funny rhyming prose and of course had major um, major audiences everywhere but I cannot think of her name so that's let's forget about that now you've talked about play now what's the importance of play and how does play relate to poetry wow such yeah, a big one it is. Um, well play is necessary for joy and for learning and comes from a place of curiosity and that playfulness, that can't happen with that kind of voice looking over your shoulder mm. saying, are you getting this right or not? Yes, yeah. So play is really, really important because it's fun, but also it's how you create unique and new ways of looking and writing about the world. So uh, I did a lot of study on a group called the Ulupo. Right. Yeah. Now, now um, listeners, that's spelled O-U-I-L-I-P-O, Ulipo. 
Yeah. And so they're a group of uh, French writers, and they're like a kind of little club. And they essentially made almost games for writing poetry. So they would invent rules, and then they would use a rule to write a poem. For example, there is one guy that wrote a whole novel without using the letter E. And then there's, uh, like, another one is N plus 7. So you just go through and all the nouns, you find the noun in a dictionary, then jump seven nouns further in the dictionary and put that word in, and that's how you build the poem. My goodness. Yeah, another one is that uh, you're on a train... Uh, every stop you need to write a poem. So, like, oh. these kind of playful ways yeah. of looking at poetry really um, free you up. And I find if I don't it use does. those things, uh, it's very easy to get stuck in cliché. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, look, that's fabulous. I, I did not understand it when I read it. You've just totally explained that to me. And what about the Google Translate method of writing? Oh, <laughs> yeah, so I came up with my own... Uh, I don't know, devices or ways of making play. Um, Google Translate is really fun and I highly recommend it to other people if you want to write a poem. So what I would do is I would have a, a stanza or a chunk of text. Then I would put it into Google Translate and then I would translate it from English to Mandarin Mandarin to Hungarian, oh Hungarian goodness. to Icelandic, Korean to Japanese, and I'd just pump it through and through and through and then translate it back to English. And the result you get back is delightful. Oh. So funny. It's amazing. <laughs> that sounds so much fun. It really is. I can see you sitting there for hours and hours and hours, honestly. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Another one of the exercises I like using is I will have one stanza So one set of words, and then to make the following stanzas, I will use the same set of words but rearrange them in a new way. So there'll be one group of words, and they will generate, say, three stanzas. My goodness, I'm going to reread all your um, (laughs) all your poetry now because I I will now have a greater vision. Now, (laughs) what topics do you write about? Um, I don't think I ever decide on, hey, I'm going to write about this. But I think looking back at my book now, it really is an encapsulation of my 20s, which was loneliness Mm -hmm. and uh, being scared, difficulties being with my own head. The wilderness of my interior life. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it comes across. I'm telling you, there's, there's some there that are, are heartbreaking. And of course, on this uh, Thursday afternoon, last day of winter, I don't want to speak about those. But there are some other gorgeous ones there as well. Uh, but yeah, you, as I said, you can. I can see where where your pain is in those in the in those pieces. Now, has there ever been a time you felt you couldn't share a poem because it was too personal, too intimate? Um No, not really. No, I didn't oh, think actually so. there's probably one poem that I'd be careful of my audience, but not yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't really mind. Yeah, I can see that you're just so honest <laughs> yeah. that you wouldn't probably worry about anything and yeah. one favorite poem that you've written the name of it or you've got many the one that i like the most 
at the moment is called The Varieties of Melancholy Experience. Wow. I, that's not in this book. Yeah, though. yeah. Is it? Is. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'll have to have it's, another look. Um, it's basically a, a list of each day of the week and what sadness is like on each day of the week. So okay. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, etc. You're listening to Kiama Community Radio. Uh, and I'd like you listeners to now hear some of Holly's poetry. Her debut collection came out in February this year called Greatest Hit. Did you hear that? Hit. Now, I happen to have a copy here borrowed from our wonderful Kiama Library. But firstly, Holly, why not Greatest Hits with an S? <laughs> well, I guess... Um I kind of wanted to subvert, you know, the idea of having greatest hits because obviously it is my first First, book. (laughs) Um, But also uh, I like the singular because, you know, it can be like greatest hit as in you're getting hit. Yeah, It can be a hit, like a hit of, I don't know, from a bog or something. It can be. um, So there's lots of different ways of interpreting hit. And, yeah, they kind of link. And once again, you're playing with words, aren't you? Yeah, and I think humour is important. Oh, of course it is. Now, the first poem I am going to read, and it's called Praxis, and I can feel the pain in this poem. Praxis. Constantly I write this sadly. Obstacles break open my sentence. A dusty phrase flops into a field. Flowers go to seed optimistically. A large context for a feeling taking place. There's this huge cold wind rubbing around the edges of thought. I spit out an obstacle. I taste that this is happening. The contours of flavour, the bitter pit... Sadly, I constantly, sadly write sentences upon my open my obstacles. A dusty feeling takes place in a large context. Contours of flavour go to seed. The eye is happening optimistically. I know the phlegm of the bitter pit. Sadly, this is the context for a feeling taking place. The document is so dusty, spit it out. Sadness, a bitter pit. I found that absolutely enthralling just from the feeling that I got from it and I couldn't wait to then um, read more. So that was Praxis. Now, uh, Holly is delightfully going to read two very short poems. One is called Dream One and the other is Dream Three. So away you go, Holly. Sure, just want to say thank you for such a lovely reading um thank you i wasn't that into that one of my poems but listening to you read it i was like oh it's good (laughs) (laughs) it's very good thank you for that (laughs) anyway this poem is called dream one i have submitted a poem to a competition i am excited and proud that they have accepted my poem i walk onto a stage to present my poem to the judges and the audience, but I have walked onto the set of a reality cooking show. I am disappointed when I look down at my hands and see that I have not prepared a poem. I have prepared some fried rice. (laughs) Everyone thinks my fried rice is delicious, but I am still disappointed. I loved that and (laughs) I... 
I chortled. <laughs> I'm glad. Okay, so this poem is called Dream 3. I send my mum an email with photo attachments that detail evidence of sunshine in Glasgow. Mum does not know how to access the attachments. She calls and says, You must have been very tired when you sent us that email. There are no photos. It just says, Evidence of sunshine in Glasgow. But I was not tired, and the attachments are there. Now it is dark, and I am very tired. Too tired to talk to my mum about evidence of sunshine in Glasgow, while she is in Australia, standing on the back deck in the sun. That was absolutely gorgeous. Thank you, Holly. Kayama Community Radio, now streaming at kcr.org.au. Holly, where do you think your poetry is headed in the future? Um, I want to master the art of a happy poem. Yes, and I reckon you're on your way. Yeah, I've had a phrase uh, jump like lurking in my head for the past few days, and it's joy arrives whenever it wants. So now I just need to find a poem to put that line in. Oh, well, I tell you what, when you're working on your poetry, start thinking about working on your songwriting because I tell you what, I reckon you'd make a great songwriter. Oh, thank and you. And it's uh, it's pretty close. The two are pretty pretty related. Now, listeners, greatest hit is available from Vagabond Press, and also on Holly. Holly's website, which is Holly Isamunga, all one word, Holly Isamunga.com. So it's H O L Y I S E M O N G E R.com. Uh, the website for Vagabond is vagabondpress.net forward slash products forward slash Holly dash Isamunga dash greatest dash hit but I think you should just look up Vagabond Press and put Holly's name in that would be a lot easier Holly it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you learning about your very full on should I say (laughs) and interesting life but especially thankful that I've found your poetry and have been able to present it here today you've won a tremendous battle against depression you're a very strong and talented person and I wish you every success with your poetry and in your future career. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been absolute delight. Thank you so much, Holly. Thank you. For more KCR features, check out our catalogue of KCR podcasts at kcr.org. Thank you.